Welcome back, friends. We are continuing in our study of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. We are in chapter 11, and today we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 16. Uh, I think you'll find this text to be a very interesting text. Uh, You may think it has something to do with absolutely nothing to do with our world today. The topic is whether or not women should wear head coverings in the midst of worship services. Um, Strange topic, but uh, we're going to see some important principles here, and we're going to learn some important things about how to do Bible study, how to how to deal with the text of Scripture. Um, we're entering a section in 1 Corinthians where Paul is going to be talking about worship, about order or disorder in the worship services. Uh, we get a remarkable glimpse into what is going on in the early Christian community there in Corinth. Uh, just as a reminder, Corinth is a, a city in present-day Greece. In Paul's day, it was primarily a Roman colony. Uh, Paul had planted the gospel there, had founded the Christian community there, and uh, people in that very cosmopolitan city came from many different walks of life. But most of them were Greek or Roman, and most of them came out of Greek or Roman religious culture. And uh, that's going to have an impact on what we're going to be reading about here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. We'll have to work a little bit in this text to understand what it is that Paul is saying and to uh, make application of what Paul is teaching uh, here in this text to our own world in the 21st century. So this is an interesting text. Uh, one of the things that um, we, we Methodist types uh, reference when we talk about Scripture is the so-called uh, Wesleyan quadrilateral. Uh, quadrilateral re- referring to four different things. Uh, the quadrilateral is not something John Wesley ever titled, uh, but we think we see the, the practice in the way John Wesley dealt with Scripture. And not just John Wesley, but really the Christian community throughout our history. Uh, when we talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, uh, we, we make sure you understand it's not an equilateral. Uh, scripture is primary. Among the four things I will mention, Scripture is primary. Scripture is authoritative. But we interpret Scripture using three other things. We interpret Scripture using reason, tradition, and experience. Um, We all do that. Whenever we come to a biblical text, the the meaning rarely is self-evident. We have to put a little effort into understanding what's going on in the text because if uh, for no other reason we are having to bridge a a 2,000-year gulf uh, between our world and the world of the New Testament. So we have to use our reason. We have to use uh, our tradition, the Christian tradition, uh, particularly the earliest of the Christian tradition. 
and uh, our experience, uh, what we know to be true of God and our relationship to God and the Christian community. So we use reason, scripture, and tradition uh, to interpret. We use reason, experience, and tradition, excuse me, to interpret scripture. Uh, You'll see us doing that with this text here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, we're dealing with the topic as to whether or not women should cover their heads in worship. Um, You know, there was a time a lot of women in our age would wear hats to worship um, and have their heads covered. Uh, Men do not cover their heads in worship. Um, We also recall that before uh, Vatican II, that Roman Catholic Council that met in the uh, first half of the 1960s, before Vatican II Council, uh, most women who were Roman Catholic, when they went to church, when they went to Mass, uh, they would place a veil over their head. If they didn't have a hat, they'd place a veil over their head. So there's even some remnants of this idea of women having their heads covered during worship. Uh, Most of us don't do much with that now, and that's probably certainly okay. Um, And I think Paul's even going to imply that for us, and that's one of the reasons I think that the Roman Catholic community after Vatican II, or during Vatican II, told their their women in their churches they did not have to cover their heads in worship uh, because uh, of a close reading of this text. So, uh, with those words of introduction... Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this section actually begins in verse 2. Paul writes, Now I commend you because you remember me, Paul says, in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. So Paul is uh, commending, complimenting the people in Corinth because they're trying to maintain the traditions that Paul gave them. The word tradition from the Greek simply means that which is handed down. And tradition is important to the Jewish and the Christian community. Uh, we have to always evaluate tradition just because it's done, because it's been done for a long time, doesn't mean it necessarily should continue to be done. But tradition can be uh, something very instructive for us in our, in our faith walk. So obviously Paul gave traditions uh, to his uh, converts there in Greece, and he's commending them that they're holding to the traditions. Um, he's going to start talking about a tradition now, uh, the tradition of whether or not women should have their head covered when they worship. And it seems like even if you looked around the Greco-Roman Mediterranean world of Paul's day, uh, there were different opinions as to whether or not uh, women should have their heads covered during the act of worship. Um, uh, Romans tended to have, cover their heads in worship. Um, Greeks tended to not cover their heads in worship. Uh, women in particular in the Roman culture tended to cover their heads in worship. So that's part of the background going on here. And this is part of what these uh, uh, Gentiles are bringing with them uh, into the Christian faith as they, as they convert to Christ. So Paul has acknowledged in verse 2 that they are paying attention to the traditions that he's given them. Look at verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, 
the head of a wife or a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, obviously, these words uh, rub some people the wrong way in the 21st century, where he's talking about the fact that... um, that uh, Christ is the head of every man. That's probably easy to accept. Uh, But when he says that the husband is uh, the head of every wife, as Christ is, uh, um, as, as God is the head of Christ, that seems to be rather offensive to women. And they notice that verse, a lot of us notice that verse, uh, where, where Paul says that um, the head of a wife or a, a woman is her husband. Um, the word translated kafale here, the word translated from the Greek into the English word head, uh, can simply be translated as source. So Paul could be saying, uh, but I want you to understand that the source of every man is Christ, And that makes sense. Christ participates in creation. And that the um, source of a wife is her husband. Um, That is not too hard to understand. It's it's the husband and the wife coming together in marriage that creates a husband and a wife. Um, But then it says, and the head of Christ is God. That's not hard to understand. God, God is the source of Christ. Uh, let's let's keep let's keep looking at the text. Uh, he is going to be referencing uh, a generally accepted first century principle that um, creation or nature or God has established some sort of a hierarchy in the world. There are different degrees of authority in the world. Uh, Paul is not always saying whether or not he agrees or disagrees. He's actually going to um, say some remarkable things in this passage about the equality of men and women, uh, particularly remarkable for Paul's age. Um, but he is referencing that to the world of Paul's day, uh, it did look as if there's hierarchy and that men had authority over women. But as I said, you can't just translate this source. Um, but he, he's, he's bringing about this issue for a particular reason. Let's look at verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. So he's talking about a, a man in the act of public worship who is praying or prophesying. To prophesy means to speak the mind of God or to speak on behalf of God. And he's saying that every man who prays or prophesies in the act of public worship with his head covered dishonors his head. So he's saying that men should have their heads uncovered in the act of worship. And by the way, that's been maintained in in most of Western civilization. In the Jewish world uh, of today, not necessarily the Jewish world of Paul's day, but uh, beginning not long after the age of Paul, it became the practice that Jewish men, Orthodox Jews, keep their head covered. I know when I take groups to Israel, uh, it's always rather interesting, but I help the men um, uh, do this. When we're in Jewish religious sites, all of us men have to have our heads covered uh, with something, usually just a cap or a hat of some kind. Jews will cover their head. Male Jews will cover the head with a kippah, kippah or a yarmulke, like a skull cap. 
Uh, but in the Jewish world today, men have their heads covered out of reverence, out of respect for God. Women did not have to do that in, in a lot of Jewish sectors. Uh, they, they do in some Orthodox Jewish cultures. They have women cover their heads. But um, Paul is saying here um, that men should not cover their heads. So to understand what he's saying, let, let, let's keep going. He's saying men, men should not cover their heads uh, because that will dishonor their heads. Verse 5, but every wife or woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Okay, Paul, what are you talking about here? He's saying men should have their heads uncovered. He's saying women should have their heads covered. And to have their heads uncovered would be the the same as if their heads were shaven or shaved. A couple things going on here. You need to understand that in Paul's world, particularly in places such as Corinth, a woman with a shaved head would frequently be a cult prostitute. And way back in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we talked about how uh, Corinth, being a cosmopolitan uh, coastal city, seaport town, uh, had several uh, pagan temples in it. You can go see the ruins of those pagan temples today. And above, uh, on a hill above the ruins of Corinth, you see the Acro-Corinth. Uh, and there was, there's still the remains of a big temple there to Aphrodite. And those temples frequently would have uh, temple prostitutes associated with them. Oftentimes in the ancient world, um, female temple prostitutes would have their heads shaved. Uh, oftentimes, though, interestingly enough, uh, male temple prostitutes would let their hair grow out. So Paul is saying here to men, and he's going to say to, to, to women and to men both, um, women, it, it's shameful for them to have their heads shaved. Men, it's shameful for them to have uh, exorbitantly long hair. But part of what Paul's getting at here is very much culturally bound to that age. And he's saying they, they're looking like temple prostitutes if they keep their head that way. And that, that is not a good witness in the early Christian community. So that's part of what's going on here in the background. Part of what Paul's dealing with here is a very specific situation related to the Greco-Roman world of the first century around the Mediterranean, particularly here in Corinth. But I want you to notice something that is um, uh, very applicable today, very important to today. He's talking about a man praying or prophesying in public, and he's talking in verse 5 about a woman praying or prophesying in public. So obviously, in Paul's Christian community, women could lead prayer publicly. Women could prophesy or speak the mind of God, or preach, if you like, publicly. Um, that's going on in the first century Christian community. We know that in the, from this text, and by the way, we know it from other texts in the New Testament. But uh, don't get so uh, taken by all this discussion about whether or not your head should be covered or uncovered to lose sight of the fact he is talking about women participating 
uh, through prayer and prophesying in Christian worship services there in Corinth. Uh, he's saying they, they should have their heads covered when they do it. Men should have their heads uncovered when they do it. Um, but he's, he's referencing that both sexes are participating in the leadership of worship there in, in first century Corinth. So to prophesy really is to preach, to prophesy, speak the mind of God. And he's, he's given instructions here for both men and women to be doing this in, uh, in worship. So look at verse six. For if a wife, and the word here, it really can just be translated woman. I prefer to just say woman, not wife, because he's not talking really about the marital relationship here as much as he's talking about men and women uh, in public worship. So verse 6, for if a woman would not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Again, he's referring to first century Greco-Roman customs. Um, uh, uh, the hair on a female was highly prized. Uh, the hair on a female was considered to be very, very beautiful. Uh, the hair on a female cons- was considered to be even seductive, which is one of the reasons, perhaps, Paul is saying, uh, in accordance with the custom of that day, for women to have their head covered. Um, during the act of worship, so people, uh, males particularly, could have their minds on what they should have their minds on in the acts in the act of worship. So he's uh, he's just saying that they should fit their culture uh, of their day, first century Greco-Roman world, city of Corinth. They should fit their culture: men with their heads uncovered, women with their heads covered. Verse seven. And we're going to talk a little more about this and make application from this, but let's go on for the time being. Verse 7, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Then that probably makes the men in the room feel good, uh, that, that, that a man is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So in a sense, uh, Paul is even saying uh, that, um, that, that the females... Uh, have a more glorious role than the men do. Men represent God and re- reflect the glory of God, but women uh, even reflect more glory than that. Women reflect the glory of man and beyond. So uh, you see a rather exalted view, particularly for the first century, of, of, of women in this culture. Look at verse 8. Paul continues, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Again, this may go back to the use of that word head, uh, really just meaning source. Uh, Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. We know from the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis that that Eve was taken out of man. Eve was taken uh, from a rib of Adam. So that's what we think he means here when he says, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Then verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Uh, You remember that from the book of Genesis 2. Uh, There was not a partner. Uh, found suitable to God, to from, by God for man. So uh, uh, the, Eve was created as a helpmate for the man, and they became they became partners. Uh, so uh, the woman was created to be in relationship with man. Look at verse ten. Verse ten is a very interesting verse, and it's also one of the hardest verses 
uh, to translate from the Greek. It's not real clear what Paul was saying here. And if you look at the bottom of your Bible, your, your translation of your Bible, it may give you several options as to the way you might can translate verse 10. But this is the way the English Standard Version translates verse 10 saying, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Um, Again, her hair or her head covering, a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Isn't that interesting? Women should have their head covered because of the angels. Um, Throughout the history of um, Christian interpretation, uh, we've tended to do two things with this text. One, we go back to Genesis chapter 6 and how um, some uh, rather evil angels came to earth and had relations with women and created a race of giants. So uh, if you have that text in the back of your mind, uh, you, you may think Paul's saying here women should have their heads covered so as to not tempt the angels. Um, like we saw happening in Genesis chapter 6. I tend to think otherwise. Um, I tend to think that what Paul is saying here, because we have this from other places in Christian tradition, we have this even uh, referenced among the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which would have been written almost right before or during the time of Paul. Uh, And it's a reference to the fact that when Christians worship, angels are present. And we, we continue that tradition in the Christian church today. Uh, when we celebrate Holy Communion, uh, in our prayer of great thanksgiving, we'll say something like, therefore with the angels and the archangels and all the hosts of heaven, we join their unending song, singing holy, holy, holy Lord God of power and might. So uh, we, we still uh, reference the fact that angels... Um, are, are present with us when we worship because worship really is a meeting of, of, of heaven and earth. Uh, I think that's what Paul's referencing here. So out of respect, out of reverence, uh, again, the culture of Paul's day said that out of respect, out of reverence, women cover their heads, men don't. Uh, in the Jewish world today, it's the exact opposite. Uh, men should cover their heads and women don't have to. But the cultural norm in that day was women cover their heads out of respect. And uh, he says, because of the angels. And I think he's just making a reference to the fact that angels are present in Christian worship. I hope that you Remember that when you're participating in the act of Christian worship. Uh, Christian worship is a meeting place between heaven and earth. So again, Paul is just, in, in, in different ways, is saying they, that the early Christian community there in Corinth should adhere to the cultural norms regarding the covering of heads for women and not for men, they should adhere to that. Verse eleven. Let's go on. Nevertheless, uh, in the woman, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For a woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman. We know that we're all born of women, uh, uh, and all things are from God. Notice what Paul's saying there. He's talking about how we are mutually dependent upon each other. Male, female, we're mutually dependent upon each other. Uh, there's a mutuality in the New Testament that would have been extremely revolutionary 
for the first century Greco-Roman world. Uh, it would have been um, a little bit more accustomed to the first century Jewish world than the first century Greco-Roman world. Uh, but Paul is saying here that uh, that uh, woman is not independent of man or man of woman. We are dependent upon each other. Again, notice the, the implied equality there. All things are from God's so way he ends uh, verse 12. Going down to verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Well, you already now know Paul's answer to that rhetorical question. It's a resounding no. Women should cover their heads there in Corinth in the first century, in that world, in that environment. Women should cover their heads uh, in worship because that was the standard of the day. Uh, verse 14, he's going to talk about nature now, uh, encouraging them to uh, uh, observe the cultural norm there in Corinth. Verse 14 says, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? It was in the Greco-Roman world, but remember what I said a few moments ago, that in the Greco-Roman world, particularly a place like Corinth with a lot of temples and um, cult prostitutes, oftentimes the male cult prostitutes would grow their hair long. So for a man to have the long hair would make them look like a, a temple prostitute, a male temple prostitute. So Paul's saying that's, that's disgraceful. Uh, a part of the background to all of this is Paul's saying you've got to protect your witness. You know, Paul really probably, Paul really doesn't have great concern about the length of your hair. But in that culture, a man with long hair uh, presented problems presented problems for the witness of the early Christian community. So he says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her, her glory. So women um, can have long hair. I remember growing up years ago when I was young uh, in the culture in which I grew up, uh, there were women in very conservative churches uh, that refused to cut their hair and they would put their hair up on their head. And what I heard as a young child being called a glory bun. And it came from this verse. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a home. My, my mother had no problem with cutting her hair occasionally. She kept pretty long hair, uh, part of the custom of her day. But uh, she, she didn't refuse to cut it. But I do remember seeing some women in some uh, particular holiness churches uh, when I was growing up who had these glory buns. Um, I used to love to hear uh, Howard and Vestal Goodman sing. Uh, if you remember... Um, a gospel singing Jubilee and the Happy Goodman family and Howard and Vestal Goodman and uh, them as gospel singers. You remember that throughout most of her life, uh, particularly when I was a little kid, not so much in her latter years, but particularly um, when I was growing up, Vestal Goodman had a glory bun. Her hair just got longer and longer and longer on top of her head. Uh, it came from this verse here. But again, you have to be careful doing things like that. Paul was saying something that fit the first century Corinthian world. Um, I don't know that my mother, for instance, and, and the church I grew up in understood they were doing good Bible scholarship when they when they refused to tell all the women in my home congregation that that they that they had to refrain from cutting their hair, but they were doing good Bible scholarship. Paul is 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 saying something that had 
application to the first century Greco-Roman world there in Corinth. So you need to be careful of reading something like that in the New Testament and um, doing what one of my New Testament professors would say, absolutize it and make it a principle for all time. Uh, Most women in Christian tradition throughout our history, uh, they have known at some point you can cut your hair. But typically speaking in Western civilization, women have had longer hair than men. Uh, We're going to do some summary statements in a few moments, but let's just keep going. We're about to the finish of of this text. Uh, So halfway through verse 15, Paul picks up and says, For her hair is given to her for a covering. So he's talking about women and their long hair. Verse 16, this will be our last verse because he's going to go to another topic, uh, talking about order in worship uh, in verse 17, but we're going to finish this section about uh, women and head coverings in worship. Verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, Paul says, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So that's sort of a summary statement for Paul at this point. Uh, He's saying... um, Don't be contentious. That's not our practice. Don't be prone to argument over petty things. Um, That's not our practice, and it's not a practice anywhere in the churches of God, not just here in Corinth, but, you know, in Ephesus or Thessalonica or Jerusalem. It's not our practice, and would that this were always true. It's not our practice to be contentious and argumentative over petty things. So when Paul says that here at the end of this section, it should really be abundantly clear what Paul's doing. He's saying to the church in Corinth that they need to observe the social standards, uh, the dress code there in Corinth in the first century for the sake of civility, for the sake of decency, for the sake of order, for the sake of their Christian witness. Uh, It really doesn't matter much the length of your hair, uh, whether whether it's a shaved head even on a female or whether it's long hair even on a male. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really make a big difference. But Paul is saying, don't let it become an issue um, that will hinder the advance of the Christian faith, that will hinder your Christian witness. We know Paul's saying that because of what he says in verse 16 and because of what he's been talking about thus far in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He's been talking about throughout much of 1 Corinthians. You know, it's fine to eat meat offered to idols, but if it harms your brother and sister, just don't eat the meat. And what Paul is saying here is just cover your hair, women, in Corinth, because that's the practice. Evidently, we think part of what was happening was this. Christ, the Christian faith, came to Corinth. Women found the Christian faith. They embraced Christ. Uh, We do know that uh, the Christian faith was rather liberating for women in the first century. We see that in the New Testament. Uh, We have um, extra biblical evidence beyond the New Testament of that being a fact. Uh, So it was almost as if perhaps women, once they uh, came into the Christian faith, uh, they found their freedom in Christ, um, they felt emancipated. So perhaps some of them were doing things that was hindering the advance of the gospel, hindering the advance of, 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 of the preaching of the Christian community. Um, you know, and we have to 
we have to have the Holy Spirit and the power of discernment. Uh, we have to have the gift of discernment. We have to have the mind of Christ because there's some things that we can just accept from the culture around us. Obviously, there's a lot of things we cannot accept from the culture around us. You know, Paul is saying here, just put something on your head. If that keeps the contention and the argumentative nature down, if that, if that helps you to live with your neighbor there in Corinth, uh, just, just do that. Don't let, don't let petty issues hinder, hinder the work of the gospel. So we think we know what Paul's saying here. So he's not giving us principles uh, about how we should um, cut our hair or not cut our hair or wear something on our head or not wear something on our head. But we should have enough sensitivity to the culture around us that uh, we pay attention. Again, when I travel to Israel, uh, I keep a hat on my head, particularly when I'm in Jewish settings. Uh, But when I walk into a Christian church, I take the hat off. Uh, I learned the first time I ever traveled to Greece uh, in, in, very con, in very conservative, traditional Greek Orthodox churches. Um, if you sit down in one of those churches and you cross your legs, someone will come to you and ask you to uncross your legs. Um, now, there's nothing sinful about crossing your legs. But what's going on there in those Greek Orthodox churches is, and we learn this the hard way, when you cross your legs, that means that the, the, the sole of your shoes, the bottom of your feet, uh, are probably perhaps being aimed at the altar. And they consider that disrespectful. So guess what? I just don't cross my legs. Uh, and I encourage everyone else with me not to cross their legs if we're traveling in Greece and in, and we're in um, Greek Orthodox churches. Sometimes you just have to yield to common practice in, in a culture to make sure that we don't throw up unnecessary barriers for the sake of the gospel. So that's the principle here. Now, we have to have the spirit of discernment to know what we can accept and what we cannot accept. Um, but, but I think we know what Paul's saying here. Um, and I think we also should pay attention that Paul here is talking about women and men both praying and prophesying in public. So, interesting section. Uh, next week, we're going to continue in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul will go on to talk about uh, the Lord's Supper And he's going to talk about some of the division and some of the disorder that's happening in the churches there in Corinth as a result of the ways that they are um, observing the Lord's Supper. God bless you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this time with you. Go in peace.